Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available in iTunes, or at least most of them are available in iTunes, but every episode is available at TheJazzSession.com. And if you head over that way, you'll see that in the show notes of each show, there are Amazon links uh, to the albums talked about in the shows. And if you click on those links and either order those albums or anything else, uh, a little portion of your purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. Also now at thejazzsession.com, there's a membership section. Uh, if you just go to thejazzsession.com, you can click on the word join, or over on the left, you'll see a little subscribe button. And if you do that, uh, for as little as $10 a month or $110 a year and then on up, you will be helping to support the Jazz Session at fairly minimal cost to yourself. And I figure I need about 100 members to keep this show going. And if I can do that in the next six months, then the Jazz Session will be able to continue long into the future. So please uh, join your fellow listeners who have already become members and support the Jazz Session. Thanks very much. My guest today is James Falzoni. He and his band Alos Musica have a new album called Lamentations. And uh, it begins, not particularly surprisingly, with a prelude. My guest today is composer and clarinetist James Falzoni. He has a really gorgeous new album called Lamentations. And first of all, James, thanks a lot for being on the show. It's my pleasure and honor. This is one of those records that uh, makes this show fun because it's it's an album that I really love and a kind of music I know nothing about. And so uh, <laughs> right along with the listeners, I get to learn uh, what it is there is to learn here, and I'm really excited about that. So I, I think maybe the... The first place to start, uh, I guess, before I forget to do it, it's just to mention the uh, the folks who play on this with you, and I guess what they play, and that will help us uh, get into uh, the kind of music that's on the record. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, instruments are a good way to uh, to get into the music. Well, uh, let's start with the uh, Ronnie Malley, who is playing the oud, which is the Arabic lute, uh, a very old instrument. Um, some think of it as the the precursor to the modern guitar, which there is some truth to that, although that gets um, kind of mythologized a little bit. Uh, but it, he's playing oud and also singing. 
in Arabic. And I'm going to bust in on you right there and to say for people for whom the lute is as obscure as anything else. Um, so <laughs> sure. We're the, talking the about an instrument with a be, neck and um, strings. The, and... the medieval lute is a, uh, um, a string instrument, not unlike a guitar, but much softer. And um, I don't know all the particulars of uh, the tuning of the lute and so forth, but we're talking about a much softer instrument, gut strings used mostly now in uh, Baroque and medieval and Renaissance music. Um, so uh, there are different versions of lutes all around the world, uh, and um, the oud is uh, one of those versions from uh, the Arabic cultures. And so is that an instrument that was derived from something from Western Europe, from a lute from Western Europe, and then Arabic cultures modified it, or do they other, arise at the same time? Or how, the other direction? Other way around. So other the, way around, the, okay. As far as my research on this and, and all the, the, the discussions I've had with my uh, oud-playing friends, is that the oud is first, and the um, the medieval lute, although it, you know, they probably um, were coming up at the same time, but likely the medieval lute is a product of the oud learned from the Crusades. And that's actually kind of an interesting thing. I mean, we talk about these uh, these these terrible wars that happened throughout history and the Crusades and so forth, not one of the better uh, times of relationships between the West and the East. And yet, when you look at it from a musicological standpoint, uh, there are some really fascinating things to, to tease out about how instruments trans, uh, transmuted from East to West and West to East. Um, another thing to study is the bagpipe, which there are bagpipes all over the world, and a lot of them are brought to different lands because of wars and because of military conflict. And um, and that, that happens all throughout music history. There's stories of uh, of Beethoven and Mozart hearing Turkish military bands as they were marching into Vienna, and they uh, were fascinated by some of the percussion instruments and began to incorporate those instruments into their orchestras for symphonies. So this is a, somebody's doctoral dissertation, I'm sure, about uh, military uh, conflict and uh, musical instruments. But uh, as far as I know, to answer your question directly, as far as I know, the, the Western European lute uh, is a product of the oud, and then that eventually makes its way to the guitar. So um, all of you guitar players who are shredding <laughs> should be thanking the the uh, Crusades, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And luckily, everything between the East and the West is okay now, so we're past Yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's, you know, that's the reason I made this record. All, all these kinds of conflicts are over with, and we can just enjoy the, <laughs> the openness that's, now. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so that's, uh, uh, that's Ronnie Malley. And, uh, yes. <clears throat> and uh, Tim Olvena, uh, who's an incredible jazz drummer, uh, some of your listeners might know him from uh, work with the Vandermark Five years ago, uh, and uh, now he plays on a number of different projects um, here in Chicago and, and nationally, internationally. Fab- fabulous jazz drummer, but also a remarkable hand drum player. And I've gotten to know Tim over the last couple of years, mostly through that, through his uh, interest and love of hand drums and of percussion from around the world. And he's playing, I mean, just a dizzying array of instruments. I couldn't even uh, list them all, but primarily frame drums. Uh, and he's also playing doombeck and some um, other hand drums that he um, plays like a zarb, which is a Persian uh, Persian drum, and a lot of bells and chimes and uh, things of that nature. And then I'm just playing the boring old clarinet. I always, <laughs> always say when I <laughs> perform live with this trio, it's like... I, these guys are playing such cool things, and people always want to know what's that instrument and what's the what's the oud. And then I'm just playing the clarinet, which everybody knows what that is. <laughs> now, in uh, in music from from these traditions, is your clarinet taking the role of some other instrument that more traditionally would have been there, or is as the clarinet become a part of this musical family as well? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there certainly is clarinet used now in Arabic music and especially in Turkish music. There's a great uh, tradition of Turkish clarinet players, really wonderful people. In fact, one of them's playing right here in Chicago tonight. Salim Sessler is playing tonight, and I, I can't make it over. Uh, he's actually playing with Ronnie Malley, the oud player. Uh, so there is a Turkish tradition of clarinet playing. Um, I hope you're not missing that to talk to me, for God's sake. No, no, no. I'm missing it because I, I leave tomorrow for a, 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 a tour for the week, and I uh, I got to pack so oh, good. Well, and get myself ready. I feel um, better about that. I don't think I'm worth missing a great concert for. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I I think you are. But uh, so now, one of the things that I am trying to imitate, though, in my particular. Um, approach to this music is to imitate the ney flute. Uh, the ney flute is a uh, a wood flute. Uh, it's a, uh, a notch-blown flute. Very difficult to play. I do not play it myself, but I've been fascinated by the sound of it and by the, the role of it within Arabic music. And so some of the things I'm trying to do are to imitate the sound of that instrument. James, can you talk about uh, where your your intro? First of all, I, I was I'm gonna keep saying this music, which is completely non-descriptive. So uh, maybe it would help us to talk about uh, what kind of music it is that you're uh, taking your inspiration from, what what particular traditions you've been studying that inform the music on Lamentations. And then I'm also interested in in how you became interested in those things. So I'm not sure which of those makes more sense first, but. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about the music first, or where it's coming from. Many of these, I guess, ninety um, percent of the music on this recording uh, is my own, are my own compositions, but they are modeled after Arabic uh, classical music, not Arabic pop music, and not necessarily Arabic folk music, but what's known as Arabic classical music, and um, it, that tradition is large and old and amazing and I have only scratched the surface of it in my study which began well I guess it began really when I was uh, about 13 or 14 listening to Peter Gabriel records to be honest and all the crazy world music sounds that he would incorporate into those records 
and I was fascinated by the sounds, and so I would I would go search the liner notes of his records, and he was always pretty careful to talk about who was playing what, and I would go search out those instruments. So that goes back to then. But then later on, I began to study Arabic music more formally uh, when I was a graduate student, and then here in Chicago, I sought out some particular musicians that I would take some lessons with and, and trail and listen to the music and so forth. So... Um, I, really what I'm trying to do with this project is not to play traditional Arabic music because I don't believe that I have that ability. I have not studied long enough. I, have, I, I don't uh, have a possession of the, the scale structure, which is known as maqam, uh, or the rhythmic structure, etc. But I have spent so much time listening to and thinking about this music and studying and playing, and etc., that I've tried to create compositions that um, indulge this interest and indulge this aesthetic that I really love and to not shy away from it um, and to also not make world music soup <laughs> which I can't stand uh, so to try to make something that is um, for lack of a better term you, you know uniquely my own it's my own take on it uh, somebody who really knows Arabic music will listen to this and say well he's they're not really playing Maqam and that's true but somebody who knows Arabic music would say yes but this person clearly has listened to this music. Um, and one of the things I've done with the compositions on this, have I've structured a lot of the compositions after forms of Arabic music. So I would study the, the pieces and then create my own piece that was somehow mimicking the, the kind of flow and the kind of form of those, of those pieces. sounds uh, that description of avoiding you know cultural tourism and the world music soup and all of that that it sounds like a a remarkably fine line to walk i'm not even sure if that's exactly the right metaphor but a uh, a, a difficult and very subjective place to figure out w- within these musical traditions both on the improvisatory side and in the arabic music traditions that you're that you're coming from did you find it to be so yeah yeah i did um and i do but I guess I find it more difficult in presentation than I do in my own life. In my own life and on my own musical pursuits, they make perfect sense. It all makes perfect sense. But when I try to put a record together or try to put a concert together and think, okay, now how am I going to present this where it doesn't come across um, as too broad or as, uh, again, this this kind of world music collage, this musical tourism, which I, I really dislike, and it's not at all the space that I'm coming from. I mean, I first started studying this music really a little more formally in, what, 2002, and didn't uh, dare to put it on any kind of record until this past summer. Um, And so, yes, I think it's a very fine line to to walk. But I also find the same line in other places in my work. Um, The the next record I have coming out, and I I won't talk too much about that because it's not coming out for quite some time, it hasn't been recorded yet, but it's my group, my jazz group, Clang, which is Rethinking Music of Benny Goodman. And uh, that's a project that I have been working on for the past year here in Chicago, and that's the same aesthetic problem is in that project as there is in rethinking or my uh, thinking about my own take on Arabic music. It's the same aesthetic question that goes on there. 
um, that I have to try to answer. Uh, since you've uh, mentioned Clang, I just want to put in that uh, T-Music was really a brilliant, brilliant record. And uh, I don't know how I never got around to, to interviewing you about that album, uh, but I absolutely missed the boat on that, uh, but really, really loved uh, the music. And I, I encourage everyone who's listening to this interview to uh, to seek out the recording, uh, which is, is just fantastic. Very different from this, but equally fantastic. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, we'll, we're in the studio in November uh, to make the next record, which I'm hoping will come out in March. That's great. Exciting to yeah. hear. Yeah. Um, now, I don't, uh, as I've as I've already admitted, know anything about the the source music here. But it it sounds to my ear when I listen to your clarinet playing on this record that maybe there's either some some microtonality going on or just some tuning outside of what I'm what we are normally used to hearing, kind of in the tempered world. Uh, is that is that the case? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Macomb system, the modal system from Arabic music, is a microtonal system. Some of the, some of this language kind of breaks down when you're really talking about it within with musicians. But um, but for for wanting to convey it, yes, it is a microtonal system. So, you know, in between the black note and the white note on the piano keyboard, there are other pitches. We don't play them in the tempered musical world. Uh, but most of the world, I suppose about 75% of the world, plays notes in between those. And it's, uh, oftentimes it's vernacular. So in other words, the, a musician from Syria is going to play the notes in between the black and the white note different than a musician from Egypt. They will play it different from a North African. They will play it different from somebody else. And that's just mind-boggling uh, and fascinating and um from somebody like myself, who's really schooled as a Western musician, I just find that endlessly interesting, you know. So I am trying, uh, for certain, to, to imitate a lot of that. Um, but I, I confess that my knowledge of that system and my, um, my study of that system falls short, for sure, and I don't have my ear around all of those modes, like somebody like Ronnie, my, my cohort here, who grew up in that system and, and knows all the modes and can hear somebody singing in a mode and say, oh, he's modulating from here to there and so forth. Um, I don't have that ability, uh, and necessarily I'm not looking to have that ability. That's I, I can't all of a sudden become um, you know, an, an Arabic musician, somebody who's been uh, listening to this music and studying and playing this music since they were a kid. That's not my intention. My intention here is to... Um, to gain from it what I can respectfully and then turn around and create music that is my own that, again, is not afraid to show these influences. And I have to say, as I get older as a composer, as an improviser, as a performer, that's that's the big challenge for me now, as I think it is for a lot of people that I associate with, is how you, how you pay um, respect to your influences. Um, one of my teachers, Rand Blake, maybe we'll talk about him in a bit here, he used to talk about your musical DNA. You know, what's, your, what's making up this person that you are? And my musical DNA has this strand of Arabic music in it that I, I can't shy away from any longer and don't want to. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd definitely be interested in, in exploring uh, Rand Blake more and, and what he's meant to you. Uh, as a teacher, and I, I'm happy to come back to this record, but let's talk about that since you just brought him up. Yeah, sure. Well, Ran uh, is um, a professor at, uh, well, I suppose he's probably retired now, but he was at the New England, New England Conservatory of Music, where I did a master's degree. 
1998 to 2000 in the Department of Contemporary Improvisation, which used to be called the Third Stream Program. Uh, and, um, you know, Rand's influence on that program, he, he really started it along with Gunther Schuller back in the 1970s, I believe. And his ability, Rand's ability as a teacher, was to allow his students to find their own voice and to indulge in this musical DNA, to, to honestly take a look at what it is that influence you, influences you, what inspires you, what you, the music you have rattling around in your brain, and to deal with that as opposed to deal with what you think you're supposed to be dealing with. And that was an incredibly freeing experience for me, studying at NEC for those two years. And I, honestly, I, I think I'm still making sense of that time. I'm, I'm 10 years out of the school now and out of Rand's uh, influence, uh, but I'm still dealing with that same issue, trying to make sense of these things that are rattling around in my brain. And I understand them now that they go back to my childhood. They go back to my early years of study. The, some of the first things that inspired me musically, I mean, like those Peter Gabriel records, to be honest, um, not that I listen to Peter Gabriel that much any longer, although I still kind of like what he does. But uh, but those in, those records are are they made a huge imprint. And at the same time, I was listening to Schoenberg, and that music made a huge imprint. At the same time, I was uh, listening to John Coltrane's Love Supreme and Bird with Strings and all this kind of stuff. And all those things just made huge imprints. And I think you spend the rest of your life uh, making sense of that. Rand really encouraged his students to spend time dealing with those uh, impulses from early childhood, from your, the, the early part of your musical study. So I'm very grateful for that. I'll just say that uh, the jazz session is not the kind of show where a taste for pop music is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. good. Yeah, well, I didn't think so, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I I love uh, Gabriel, and um, and like I said, I I would really use his records as a um, starting off place to go and and learn more about the instruments, especially when he did that uh, Last Temptation of Christ record in which he used all these Arabic mu uh, uh, musicians from uh, North Africa, especially. It was the first time I heard uh, Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan, the great uh, Kowali singer from Pakistan. I just I had no idea what to what to make of that music. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want to find out. So I went out and got all kinds of records. And yeah, I think I was probably a junior or senior in high school when that record came out. And, um, you know, it was just fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. I hope to meet Gabriel someday and thank him for all that great music. Yeah, I, it sounds like we were about exactly the same age, and because uh, I was also a junior or senior in high school when that record came out. And uh, also, I got, at one point, for about a decade of my life, was really absorbed in West African music, and that was completely from having heard In Your Eyes and you saw yeah, on there, yeah. and then, you know, you just wonder, well, what kind of music is this and what else is out there? Which I think is wonderful, and I, I imagine that there are people who will hear uh, this record and you know, perhaps have their ears opened. I mean, certainly I I do when I listen to this record. I think that there are other things I should investigate so that I understand more mm. of what's happening here. It seems like a valuable role uh, mm. for you to play. You know, that's that's really wonderful. I, I honestly had never thought about, about that before, uh, of any role that I could play and other people checking out this kind of stuff. But um, that would be wonderful, uh, really wonderful.
Uh, there's an aspect of this record uh, that we haven't discussed, um, which is the, uh, the the political uh, or, or social underpinnings um, that led to some of these compositions. And I, I thought maybe you could touch on that. Sure, sure. Uh, it's tricky here as well. I, I'm I'm not a, an overtly political guy uh, in the sense of of making any kind of protest music and so forth. Uh, I think that can be done well, and there's a place for it, but it's not necessarily my calling. But I was uh, I moved to Chicago. I moved back to Chicago. I'm from here. I went to Boston to to do graduate work, and I came back here in 2002. And one of the first things I did was to start seeking out uh, Arabic and Middle Eastern neighborhoods where I could buy some CDs and hear about music that was going on and just kind of check out the scene, which I hadn't been doing when I grew up here. And at that time was when we were getting more and more uh, ensconced in in the various wars that we're fighting now in Afghanistan and Iraq. And there was just this kind of growing climate of of uh, misunderstanding between the East and the West, as you alluded to earlier, you know, like you were kidding, saying, oh, we're, we're beyond all those crusade uh, themes now, but of course, you know, we're not. And I was encountering these people that I loved, people, friends and family, people that were, were otherwise very thoughtful, respectful people, having these just bizarre and strange ideas about uh, Arabic culture, about Islam, about uh, the, the balance between uh, West and East and so forth. And here I was hanging out in Middle Eastern grocery shops, and I remember one specific day when I was uh, going to get some Um Kalthum records. She's a great Egyptian singer who was really one of the, kind of the Billie Holiday of Arabic music, you know, he's just a, a, a high watermark for Arabic singing. And I was going to get some CDs of hers in the shop, and... Um, Al Jazeera was playing on this television, and all the shopkeepers and people in the shop were watching TV. It was a very heavy bombing going on of, of Baghdad at the moment. And here I am, sitting there trying to learn more about this music, and so um, in awe of the long history of this culture and its music and so forth, and, and seeing more and more how much our Western culture is indebted to Eastern culture, not just musically, but all kinds of things culturally, mathematics, uh, language, you know, all kinds of things. And Yet, um, you know, there's so much strange conversations going on about Arabic culture coming from Washington, coming from people around me, coming from um, the culture in general. And my response to that was, to be honest, sadness. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. Not protest, but just my own vantage point is to see these things, to see the, the breakdown of communication between people and to lament that. And so I ha at that particular time, I had an assignment, or I, I should say a, a, an opportunity f to write some music for the Umbrella Music Festival here in Chicago. Umbrella Music uh, Organization is a group of presenters and promoters here in Chicago who put on music all over the city. It's a really great organization. They were doing, I think it might have been the first or the second festival, and they asked me to put a group together. And so I took that opportunity to to just write these laments. Um, I guess I wrote maybe seven or eight of them and um, got together the trio to to play at the festival and to play this music. And so it was a real outgrowth of my sadness for what was happening with our country regarding the issues between Islam and uh, American culture. 
my mind, uh, there was this uh, Phil Oaks uh, quote that he says, um, uh, in, in such ugly times, the greatest protest is beauty. And that's what I was thinking about. You know, my, again, my sense of my calling in the world is not to be protesting, but to just be putting up beauty. And when I say beauty, I mean that in the aesthetic sense of just making art. Um, people can decide if it's beautiful or not, it's opinion, but just anything that's creative work inspired by something that's ugly, to me, is beautiful. It's sad that we've divorced that from the the concept of beauty being a form of protest. I mean, like, the fact that you, you said twice in that two minutes that you're not a particularly political person, which is, of course, untrue. I mean, there's no such thing as a person who's not political, unless you live in a cave. And, yeah. unfortunately, the act of... The act of making beauty, which is a very revolutionary act, we always feel like we have to either apologize for or explain away or say, well, I'm not protesting, I'm making art. Mm -hmm. But but in fact, that is in many ways the most core human means of striking back or taking a stand against you know all the horror that's in the world in my opinion i'm, I'm only giving my own opinion but no you're, you're absolutely right I, I, and I, I thank you for saying it that way because because um, you're right and maybe i should um think about how i want to speak about that I, I guess i'm thinking in my mind of a friend here in chicago ted sirota who's a great jazz drummer here and he's got a band called the rebel souls he's been on this show actually so folks can oh, find he's been that okay great so so listeners uh, go scroll down there and check out ted's uh, ted stuff because he's wonderful he's a, a friend that i don't play with him often but he's um i think he's great i mean ted's uh, overtly more political than i would be through my music i mean i think he played at the jazz festival this past uh you know the past uh, september and dedicated a uh, uh, one of the tunes off his record to i don't know who it was but somebody who's been unjustly um imprisoned and so forth so he's somebody who uses his his uh, platform as a musician as a jazz musician to to um talk about his political views and uh that i wouldn't be as comfortable doing that as ted might um so i think that's why i'm just um you know using the language that i'm using Finally, I wanted to ask you about the the concept of lamentation. Uh, obviously, the album is called Lamentations, and uh, all of the uh, well, the pieces are laments, either titled that way explicitly or that way uh, sonically. And I, I thought maybe you could t- tell us a little bit, uh, give us some more education about the role of lament uh, in in this music. Sure, I um, I've been uh, I don't have specific research on it, but I've been interested in how different genres, different forms transcend cultures. For instance, the lullaby, um, things like that. And a lament is another example of that. You'll find laments called that in almost a- any culture. 
maybe translated different, maybe maybe a different word, but it it has some sense to which there is this music or this poem, if it is not a musical form, that is um, expressing concern. It's not always sadness, and that's what I was intrigued by. I, w- I would find something that was called a lament in another cultural music, but it wasn't necessarily a sad piece of music. It, it could be very peppy, but yet still called a lament. And you can find these in Andean music, you can find these in uh, Arabic music, in, in West African music, you can find these all over the place. And um, I was intrigued by could I some of the things that I was lamenting about the war uh, and about this relationship between East and West were making me very impatient, very mm, feisty, you know. And so I wrote some that indulged that, that weren't the the slow, languid, um, mournful kind of sense you might get from a lament, but were active, were um, were impatient, were tight lines moving together that were trying to show the kind of angst that I was feeling uh, inside of myself. And, you know, I think about, um, there's a quote that I never even found out if this is true or not, but uh, there was some quote about Billie Holiday, that she was listening to some Greek music at a party somewhere, and it was a, a Greek singer, and uh, she seemed very intrigued by the music, and somebody said, hey, you know, Billy, do you, do you like that uh, like that music? And Billy said, well, I don't know what this lady's singing. It's in a language I can't understand, but, but I know she's got the blues. And sure enough, somebody translated the words, and it was, you know, basically a blues, but in Greek. And that's the kind of thing I'm, I was interested in with using the lament as a genre, is that this transcends culture, and we can hear the idea of a lament no matter what the vernacular can you talk about the uh, the balance between composition and improvisation on this album? Yes, um, it, it's an interesting balance because uh, there are some all the pieces, even the ones I've composed, have elements of improvisation. And improvisation is embedded in Arabic music. When you learn Arabic music, which is, tends to be a non-notated music, you're learning it through improvisation. So there is improvisation built into all of these compositions, uh, places where we get to explore the modes and so forth. But then there are pieces, uh, several of them which I've called on the record uh, the thought and the self, and I've separated them into different movements that are uh, free improvisations between Tim Mulvena on percussion and myself. And I think there is when you hear some of this influence from my study of Arabic music at its most raw. Uh, Primarily, I'm a jazz musician, and that's the center of gravity, is improvisation coming out of a jazz aesthetic. But I'm trying to allow these other streams to uh, to filter in to my jazz aesthetic. And I, I, I hear them the most in those free improvisations. So there's a lot of that going on in this record. Um, uh, hopefully, people might have a hard time knowing when we're improvising and when we're not. And they won't hear necessarily a change between the, those two in terms of the musical language. Thank you. 
James, can you talk about uh, the the label that this album appears on? Sure. This is uh, Allos Documents, which is a label that I started myself um, in uh, several years ago. I guess it was 2000, and this is the fifth uh, edition of the um, on the label. And I, I really enjoy um, enjoy putting things out myself. The process is really enjoyable. Um, I, I kind of think of it more like an artisan style uh, approach to things as opposed to a uh, more of a, of a mass market approach. And um, and it's just there's something really satisfying about it and the whole process from the recording to putting out the packaging and so forth, finding photography that works and so forth. Uh, I just really enjoy the whole process. Um, and in today's um, uh, today's musical climate, you can do a lot of this sort of thing on your own in, in terms of distribution and so forth. So, um, so I, I really, really enjoy the process. My guest is clarinetist and composer James Falzoni. He has a new record out called Lamentations, which is well worth your time. And uh, James, I've really enjoyed this music and also enjoyed the chance to talk with you about it. Thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's music from James Falzoni and his new album, Lamentations. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Visit TheJazzSession.com and become a member for as little as $10 a month or $110 a year. There are various ways to say thank you uh, and several different levels you can choose from. I need about 100 members to uh, make this show viable so that I can continue to do it, and uh, I'm going to give myself about six months to get there. Folks have already been signing up, and uh, very soon there'll be a members page where you can see your name and uh, get shout-outs on the shows and all that kind of stuff. So uh, please uh, do consider joining. Actually, do more than consider it. Actually do it, if you would. That would be great. And I uh, also need to thank the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com, and also thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. So now, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.